This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz. You are my people of the book. I know we are having a very rough time, particularly in Gauteng. Um, I'm sending comfort to all of you who need it, healing to all who need, all who need it. And my guest today, I'm telling you, this is the most timiest book that we need at the moment. My guest today is Bridget McNulty, and she has a book that is being released next week on the 13th of July called The Grief Handbook. If there was ever a book that everybody needs, then The Grief Handbook, A Guide Through the Worst Days of Your Life, is the book that we all need. Bridget, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that wonderful intro. It actually gives me goosebumps because... You write something and you hope that it connects with people, but you don't know if it's going to. So thank you. You just made my day. <laughs> Pleasure. But I really think that at this time of all times, this is something that is going to connect with a lot of people, whether they look at it now, whether they look at it later, pick it up, put it down. And, you know, this is something that everyone is going to need. And just to give a bit of background about you, about Bridget, Bridget is a writer, a content strategist, and the co-founder of Sweet Life, South Africa's largest online diabetes community. She lives in Cape Town, South Africa. Oh, don't you just love uh, technology that we can talk to everybody everywhere? Um, she has a husband, a son, and a daughter, and she loves nothing more than a cup of tea and a good book, preferably somewhere green and leafy and Bridget, you are a woman after my own heart, I have to tell you, because <laughs> that just sounds like the good life, really. So tell me briefly the background that led you to writing the Grief Handbook. So in 2019, my mom died very suddenly. I'm the youngest of four kids. I'm the only girl. And my mom and I were very, very close. And... We would chat all the time and all of a sudden she started to, she had weird symptoms, nothing that worrying. She had like acid reflux that wouldn't go away and sore feet, but nothing too concerning. And then she suddenly lost weight and got really tired. And so we sent her off to a specialist physician and she was diagnosed with four different types of cancer. And 13 days later, she was gone. Wow. And it was such a shock. It was, it just, we walked around in disbelief for weeks. It didn't seem possible. And in the wake of that, because I'm a writer and a reader, I read everything I could find about grief. So any book about grief, I read it. And there's really this gap. There's a lot of religious books, which helps if you're religious. And there are a lot of kind of deeply philosophical books or books about grief counseling. But I just wanted something that was easy to read and empathetic and kind and would kind of give me an idea of what to expect and and lead me through the process. And I also really importantly wanted something that I could get stuck into. So the grief handbook isn't just my reflections on grief. It's it's that and it's expert opinions, but it's also the space to color in and to write letters to your loved one and a letter to grief and and to vent when you need to and scribble when you need to and 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 really try and work through the process because grief is such a journey. It's not something that happens and you get over it and then it's done. It just returns and returns and returns for ages. I agree with you 100%. And it's not something like you get over and you carry on with your life. As you say, you have to carry on and everything is so different. 
you have to carry on with that space in your life that that person filled and there's always going to be that space. Nothing's yeah. going to yeah. fill it. And I agree with you 100%. We were chatting before the show and I was telling you about my aunt um, who many people know of, Veronica, who passed away in February. And as small as she was in stature, she was such um, mm-hmm. a vibrant presence. And although she she was by no means young, she was 94 when she passed, um, and that she was suddenly gone was just you know, she, yeah. she, it was just such a sudden loss. And I just, I couldn't come to and terms with the fact, where does that energy go? It's just gone. Where does that, where's it, where does it go? And I don't think it actually matters. It definitely doesn't matter how old the person is. No. And I don't think it even matters if they've had a long lingering illness because they're there and then they're not there. Yes. It's, someone is breathing and then they're not breathing. Yes. And I think it's a shock no matter what the circumstances. I, I have a section in the book called at least because I, I kept finding that I would tell the story of my mom's death and, and people bless their cotton socks with the best intentions would be like, Oh, well, at least you guys were close. So you don't have regrets. And I'm like, well, what, how is, how is that better? How does or that make be like, it better? Well, at least she didn't have a lingering illness. And I was like, but that means that none of us came to terms with it. I wouldn't want her to have a lingering illness. I wouldn't want us not to be close, but it doesn't, Make it better. There's no magic better option that makes death easy, I don't think. I for, agree with for you. For those of us who are left I around. fully, fully agree with you. We are going to um, discuss many of the different sections in the book. And as you said, it's a handbook. And there's there's different um, parts to it. There's, there's sections where you can color in. There's sections where you can take a breather. There's sections where you can write down what you're going to miss about the person. Um, there's a section here. I'm just having a look because um, I know I filled something in and added to, to one of the lists um, that asks things to remember during the first few weeks that um, you've listed a few things and you've, you've said at the bottom, what are your rules for survival? And I know I added in a few. So um, we're going to get into a few of these chapters in the book. Um, yeah. That's why we have a whole show to get through all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And we're going to do that after this. I love it when you this is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. So I am back with my guest, Bridget McNulty, and we are discussing her absolutely incredible book, The Grief Handbook, A Guide Through the Worst Days of Your Life. This book is being released next week. It will be it's available for um, pre-order already on Take A Lot. You can actually find out more on the website, www.griefhandbook.com, and it's just 180 rand, really Buy one for yourself, buy one for everyone you know, because everybody should own a copy of this book. And before the break, we were talking about <laughs> the different um, the different exercises that are in this book. And it is going to be available um, as an audio book, but really I highly recommend get an actual hard copy of the book. This is something you're going to want to page through. You're going to want to highlight passages, sentences, you're going to want to um, stick little sticky notes in it. There's so much in here that you are going to want to have as a hard copy. Obviously, if an audio book mm-hmm. is, is your thing, go ahead, get it as an audio book. But really, 
So before the break, Bridget, we were talking about the, that initial shock and disbelief that, that comes with the mm-hmm. passing of, of someone who is close to you. Even after someone has been ill for a long time, a short time, a death is expected, mm-hmm. you know, there's always that shock and disbelief of someone who was there and is suddenly gone. And we were talking about those things that you remember um, in the first few weeks and things like treating yourself gently and don't question your feelings. There's no right or wrong way to do grief. So talk to me a bit about that. Yeah, that's the main message that if there was only one thing that people get from the book, that would be it, is it feels like in life in general, but specifically with grief, we have this expectation that there's a right and wrong way of doing things. And there just isn't. So I have three older brothers, as I said, and, and my brothers and my dad and I all grieved very differently. And none of us did it right. None of us did it wrong, but we did it at different paces. So, so some of us went deep immediately. Some of us put it off for a while. You can feel fine and that's great. And you can feel terrible and that's great. I mean, none of it is great. It all sucks, but but there's no, you don't have to live up to anything. And I think there's this strange societal pressure that after three months you are better, like it's some illness that you've gotten over. And that's just not the case. Everyone grieves at their own speed. And for some people, it might be so loud that it kind of takes over everything else in your life. And so especially in those first couple of weeks, I think it's so important weeks and months, actually, it's so important just to give yourself space and to recognize that if you're feeling exhausted for no real reason, or if you have constant headaches or stomach pains or your appetite is gone or you can't sleep, that's all normal and part of the process. And you just have to be gentle with yourself as much as you can. It's just so hard. I I don't think anyone... That's what I'm so pleased about being able to talk about grief now that the book is out is I don't think anyone really recognizes how difficult it is. I know that I thought before I went through this, I thought that grief was just kind of, I don't know, like feeling really sad or maybe on the verge of depression. I didn't understand how all encompassing it was. And I think that if we can understand that, we can all just be a little kinder to each other as we go through the process. Because it's the one thing we're all guaranteed of. Yes. And you do have a chapter in the book that, that um, is titled The Physicality of Grief. Yeah. I was, I was amazed by that. Like I thought it was just an emotion and it isn't. And I'm a type one diabetic. And so I can see in my blood sugar readings, I could see that I was flooded with cortisol for months. And cortisol is a, cause grief is a prolonged stress response and cortisol is the stress hormone. And there, there are real physical effects and Particularly in the beginning parts of grief, there's um, this concept of the fog of grief. It's not my idea. It was in a book I read um, by Kenneth C. Haug. And he was saying that when someone dies, this fog rolls in and it's a mental fog and that you can't think straight. And it's an emotional fog and that you feel your emotions are maxed out. But it's also a physical fog. Like my brothers and my dad and I kept having dumb accidents where we'd like, slip on a bathroom mat that had always been there or like keep dropping glasses or bumping into things that were always there. And it's because your physical body just is maxed out. It doesn't know what to do. And so, yeah, the only advice I have really is just to be as gentle with yourself as possible. 
And in this chapter, I mean, I'm jumping around here now because in this chapter about the surprising physicality of grief, I mean, I remember, um, funnily enough, and this, this does relate to my late aunt, many years ago when she lost her husband, my uncle, I remember strange things happening to her. I remember her losing mm-hmm. things. She lost, yeah. I, I can't remember what, what things she lost, but I remember she kept losing things. Yeah. And, and it's because the, it's, it's like your world has been turned upside down. So, so I would like not be able to find my keys every day. I've never had a problem finding my keys because you always just put them in the same place when you come in. And I, and, and what's so funny is that like, in normal life, when you lose your keys, you're like, oh, what a heck. Okay. They must be here somewhere. But when you're already on like 90% not being able to cope with life because everything is so hard and then you lose your keys, it's like the worst thing that could ever happen. And parenting with yeah, while you're grieving just... is your next level. Especially when um, you were parenting very young children who don't yeah. really understand what you're going through. No, not at all. They couldn't understand why I was still sad after like a week. They kind of gave me a week grace period. And then after that, they were like, are you sad? When like my voice <laughs> choked up or I said I was tired or I didn't want to play. And and they were so confused by it. And then they'd be like, but why are you sad? And I had to keep saying, I had to keep saying because my mom died. And then they would be like, oh, sorry. And then like an hour later, they'd be like, Mom, come play. And I was like, I'm just going to sit here for a bit. And they were like, still sad. And oh God, it was, yeah, intense. But it also forces you into a routine and routine is very helpful when you're grieving because otherwise I think it's very easy to kind of go the deep end. Yeah. And just lose yourself completely. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, that is really true. Um, so the other thing, I mean, one of the things I added to that list of things to remember in the first few weeks, mm-hmm. I mean, I know we said treat yourself gently. People try and do their best, and we're going to discuss other people later on <laughs> because other people, bless them. Um, <laughs> but but I did say, like, try and treat others gently as well because people are trying to be kind. So even if you're not in the mood, Try and treat others gently. And, you know, um, if you don't want to answer the phone, don't answer the phone. If you don't want to reply to a message, don't reply to a message. Maybe leave it till later. You know, that, that's also Mm. okay. Um, I just sent a heart emoji, which is very helpful. Emojis are magical. Emojis are fabulous. I love them. You can show that you've got the message. It's been gratefully received. But I found that replying, like friends would ask, how are you? And I was like, ah, oh, I can't be answering that. Because then you've got to find words for how terrible you feel. And then you read over them and that makes you feel even worse. So, yeah, I would just send a heart emoji. And and truthfully, um, the question, how are you? Do they really, what are they going to do with that response? I know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I yeah. know. And do they want and, the real response? Yes, and I know. I said we're going to to talk about other people, but how do they think you are, really? I know. You know, you've just and lost someone I often so close surprised. to you, and how, you know, yeah. what do they think? What I found so surprising about grief, too. I mean, there was lots of things that surprised me, but one of the big things was how boring it was, because everything else that I had experienced in life. You go through it and you go through it. So like 
you go through it and you come out the other side and grief just circles round and round and round. And then you feel like you're doing better and then you accidentally dip into the pit of grief and you're back where you started and nothing new has happened because nothing new happens, but it still feels so awful and you have to keep telling the same stories. And so I actually found that it was kind of a fire that blazed through my relationships because acquaintances can't deal with that. It's, and I, I lost my ability for at least six months, maybe a year to be able to do small talk, but, but you can't go deep with everyone. And so it was quite helpful actually, because then the friends I was left with at the end were the ones who were able to hold space for me when it was so difficult. Yeah, and because, it's a very yeah, that, hard thing to do. Yeah, that small talk just, yeah, it all suddenly just seems so irrelevant. Yeah, meaningless. Yeah. After this break, we're going to come back and I want to talk about a little bit more about that and the inadequacy of words. Let's just take a brief break. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I am back with my guest, Bridget McNulty, and we're talking about her book, The Grief Handbook, A Guide Through the Worst Days of Your Life. This book is available from the 13th of July next week, and I really do suggest you buy it for yourself, for your loved ones, someone who you know might be going through a difficult time, as many people are at the moment. Bridget, before the break, we were talking about um, things people say and things that we find the inability to say when we are grieving. And mm. there's a concept, I mean, it's it's the inadequacy of words. And also that grieving, as you said, is not a linear process. It's, yeah. you know, you feel better and then then there's a dip and then you feel lousy again. And and um, you mentioned in your book, there's, there's a little extract from Jan Richardson um, from the mm. Painted Prayer book where she talks about the different rooms of grief, which... I thought mm. was was really perfectly descriptive of, of you're on a journey. We, you've already said grief is a journey. Mm. And, you know, you wander in and out of these rooms and you don't know what what room you're going to be wandering into and what each room is going to hold. Maybe you want to just talk about that briefly. Mm. I, I loved it so much. I heard her um, speaking on a podcast, actually. Uh, an amazing podcast called Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Um, and she specifically talks to a lot of people around how to handle grief. And what I loved about Jan's an analysis of grief or, or her translation of grief is she manages, I'm going to read a little excerpt from it because she manages to encompass the surprise of grief. So she says, that's how grief works. It comes on us not by choice typically, and not something we would have willingly opened the door to, not something we would have chosen to welcome in. And that's what I thought was so interesting is because any other time I'd been sad in life or anxious or any of the negative emotions, it was it's kind of because you've consciously thought of something. So even after a bad breakup or that kind of thing, you can you can think of it and feel bad or you can distract yourself away from it. Whereas grief, I would some mornings just wake up in the middle of it and other mornings I would wake up fine and, and there doesn't seem to be a, a reason to it because you can be triggered by the smallest things. It can be like the perfume of a stranger that you walk past on the street or I remember the one afternoon feeling devastated because we were eating Swassi Song. My brother had brought some back from France and 
as I was chopping it up, I thought, oh, I'm going to save some for my mom. And then as I started thinking for my mom, I was like, oh, no, she's not here anymore. And the smell of it had brought me back and the taste of it. And the last time we'd had it had only been a couple of months before. And it's so surprising how you can be triggered by such little things so easily. And I found this concept of the inadequacy of words so startling to me because words are my thing. I'm a writer and a reader. And so I'd always been able to find the perfect word for something. I can't always pronounce the words, but I know what the word is in my head. I can see it. And the the words just aren't big enough when it comes to grief because we've used them all before. We've said like, I'm sad, I'm exhausted, I'm heartbroken. And, and we've kind of used them up. And so to come to a space where you can't adequately express how you feel because how you feel is bigger than words felt so lonely. And that's also what I wanted the book to be for is to reach out a hand and say like, you are not alone in this. It is so hard and it gets better. Eventually it does get better. Cause that's the other thing. It feels like it's never going to lift. I thought I was irrevocably changed and would not be able to experience joy again. And it lifts eventually. Time is a great healer. But you are irrevocably changed. I am irrevocably changed. No doubt. But I'm not ruined. I thought I was, I thought I would never feel happy and lighthearted and playful again. And I am able to still feel that, which is a relief. Yeah. I am sure that is a relief. The, The other chapter I want to talk about is that real life doesn't stop. And you begin the chapter with, and I've I've spoken to you about this already, one of my favorite, and you've said it's one of the definitive poems about about grief and about death, in fact. Um, And it's by W.H. Auden, and I'm sure it's familiar to so, so many people. Um, Officially, it's titled Funeral Blues, but I think people know it better as Stop All the Clocks. And, you know, just to quote the first couple of lines, Stop All the Clocks, Cut Off the Telephone, prevent the dog from barking with a juicy bone. And I mean, to me, uh, to me, it always brings back the memory of four weddings and a funeral should be very. Absolutely. I was going to say, I think that's where people really know it from. Never mind. And the the way it's read, because I think I can't even remember. I know his beautiful accent. In that beautiful little Irish guy. Yes. The Irish guy, everyone, anyone who knows me will tell you I am obsessed with anything Irish. So (laughs) yeah, that just does it for me. But, but that's, that's the truth. I mean, as much as you, yeah. for you, everything has stopped and, and your, your normal has stopped. Life carries on. Real life doesn't stop. No. And that it doesn't even pause. No. It so doesn't. what happened to me was that six weeks pretty much to the day after my mom died, my husband was hit by a car. He was on a motorbike. He drove to work on a motorbike and it was only five minutes from home. And, but I didn't know how serious it was he was lying on the pavement when I got there waiting for the ambulance and it turned out he had broken his back and fractured his wrist and the back was broken thank god in like a fairly normal place that could could heal he's healed completely now but it meant going back into hospitals and the hospitals all smelt and looked the same as the ones that I'd been in six weeks earlier with my mom and I was sponge bathing him the way I'd been sponge bathing her and waking up in the night to turn him the way I'd been waking up in the night to turn her. And it, and actually more importantly at that stage, I was back in as the primary caregiver of our kids who are 
not yet three and not yet five at, at the time. And so my grief had to be put on hold. And I only realized in the writing of this book that when something like that happens, when there's like an interruption in the ordinary grieving process or in, in your capacity to move through grief at your own speed, it's called complicated grief. And I think that will ring true for anyone who's lost someone during COVID because the circumstances we're living through at the moment are so abnormal and people not being able to have funerals or not being able to say goodbye properly or having to say goodbye in a hospital masked up, not being able to be at home with their loved ones. I think there's just so much, so many extra layers of heartache on top of the normal layers of grief at the moment. And my editor encouraged me to put in a section on complicated grief with kind of the, the research on what it is and, and the recommended guidance on how to deal with it. And also on trauma and PTSD, because she said that the experience of losing my mom so quickly and, and it was like she had a stroke the day that we got the diagnosis. So she wasn't able to communicate properly. It was all very dramatic. Um, and then having to go back into the hospital and I felt with my husband, then I felt like I couldn't breathe when I was like walking down the hospital corridor. And I just at the time was like, okay, this sucks. Like take a deep breath and keep moving forward because what other option is there? And then when I was writing it and my editor was encouraging me to put in these extra sections, she pointed out that it was probably PTSD. And I think it's so funny that we... I say we because I've spoken to friends who feel the same way. We feel like trauma and PTSD means war and violence and big things. But actually, I think probably anyone who's lost someone through COVID has probably gone through some level of trauma and, and would benefit from some kind of therapy and help and being able to yeah. talk about it. Yeah, I agree with you. I really do agree with you, which, which leads me to, to my next topic, which, which is your chapter on the story of your grief. So Talk to I, me about, this about the story. Yes. I also yeah, do. It, it, it's, yeah, it, it's so interesting because I think when you're in the middle of grief, it can feel as if you are your grief. And, and that's what I mean earlier by saying I felt like I was irrevocably changed. I thought I was going to be a sad person for the rest of my life. I thought the grief was me. And there's this idea, there's this concept of externalizing something to make it make more sense. So the WHO is this beautiful video about the black dog of depression. So instead of feeling like you are your depression, they've externalized it as a black dog who gets bigger or smaller and sometimes runs all over things and messes things up. And other times is is quite docile and well-behaved. And so I like the idea of being able to externalize your grief and write a letter to your grief so that you can say, like, I recognize that the level of grief is equal to the level of love. And and you wouldn't actually want someone that you loved. You wouldn't want them to be gone and for you not to notice. But being able to take a step slightly outside and reflect back on it, I think, is very helpful. It is very helpful. What's interesting and what I found helpful and sometimes stressful and sometimes frustrating Mm -hmm. um especially for me and i'm going to mention again when my aunt passed away because this is my most recent loss and it's so recent it is it what it is recent that everybody 
having someone, losing someone who everybody feels is theirs. I mean, we, we yes. shared her with a community. Everybody mm. wants to share their story of the person that you've lost. Mm. And mm. for us, that was, sometimes it was comforting. Sometimes it was, you know, we don't want to hear this right now. Sometimes it's difficult, but everybody, but everybody else is trying to deal with their loss. They mm-hmm. also lost her and we needed to bear that in mind. Um, what I found so strange was that I think we have this weird whitewashing of people once they die where we only, it feels disloyal on some level to mention any of their negative absolutely. qualities. And I find that like, it was a family joke with us because at my mom's funeral, so many people came up to me and were like, oh, your mom was my best friend. She was such a lovely lady. Like so many people claimed her <laughs> as her best friend. But also she was a lovely lady and she was a wonderful mom and she was so warm and so loving. But she was also very spiteful. Like our family has a very <laughs> spiteful sense of humor. And she would often rip us off for no reason other than because she thought it was funny. And we have spiteful Santa at Christmas where <laughs> instead of secret Santa – that's you terrible. open a present. It's so fun. You open a present and then anyone in the family who rolls a six can steal it from you. But my family, <laughs> the family rule is that you have to pretend you don't like it. So you open it and then you have this neutral expression because if you open it and go, oh, I love it, then everyone will steal it from you. And one year, there was like one amazing gift. It was little Le Creuset cocottes that were Ooh, way out of the budget. They were bought in by the French relatives. And I desperately wanted them. Desperately, there were like tears in my eyes. I wanted them so much, and my mom stole them from me no. three times. No, And then at the end, I went up to her and I was like, "So that was just a joke. Like we're gonna swap now." And she was like, "No, I want them." And she kept them in her cupboard. She didn't even use them, and it was hilarious, but also like really mean. And she used to hide, like when she bought treats, she would hide them from the kids. And go and hide, as we all do as moms, go and hide away and like eat the treats and then come out and like offer the kids the less good treats. And, and then someone dies and all of a sudden they're like, oh, she was an angel. Oh, she was such a lovely lady. She was so kind to everyone. It's I'm true. Like, well, yeah, it's most so of the true. time. But the other stuff is the stuff I want to remember. The stuff that makes them like real, and real. And, yeah. Yeah. And human. So that's also, we offer a space in the book to, or I offer a space in the book to, Write down those details because I think those are the ones that, yeah, that make them human. And you don't want to lose those in the general whitewash of saying. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes you hear people described at at funerals and, and you think, who are they talking about? I know. That's not the person. I mean, people have, you know, people do say things and you think, wasn't her like it wasn't how we knew her what are you talking about but but it's true but people people want to remember the good and they want you to know that they knew the good parts probably at the most yeah and that they saw the good parts more than anything else and i think that they feel the need to share that with you yeah yeah and yeah Yeah, i think that i think that they feel that that you know, if they were to say anything else, you know, I think they, I think that's their way of, of, of feeling that they, they are comforting you. And, you know, I don't think. And that's the thing is that it's such a, it's such a minefield because no matter what you say, I think there are certain things you can say that are helpful and, and they're very simple and they're just like, I'm so sorry. I know how much you loved the person that you lost and 
I'm here for you if you need to talk. Like, just see what you feel up to. No pressure at all. Just just gentle, supportive things. But there are so many things that people say that even, and I know nothing is meant badly, but, but oh, it can just rub you the wrong way or, or make you flare up. And again, it's, I think, because you're maxed out on emotion. You're on this 80% full of emotion. So anything that strikes you the wrong way just tips you over the edge. Absolutely. And, you know, you, and you also, as you say, like, you know, you, you are totally overwrought and, and, you know, people are saying things and you kind of, you want to just lash out and say, like, do you actually think before you open your mouth? And, and, and I think it's just the things we were taught to say. So the, the big one that, that I really feel passionate about is, let me know if I can do anything to help. Oh, that's not I, I get, I get that. I got that a lot. And I, anytime something happens, I get that a lot. And it is the least helpful. It's meant with such care and such love. And it is the least helpful thing you can possibly say because the person you're saying that to has no idea what they need. They are so exhausted and wrung out and stressed that they don't even know what to wear in the morning. So saying, let me know if there's anything I can do to help is just. So I would really recommend anyone who, who wants to help someone who's grieving, just offer something very practical and very low, low touch, like low commitment. So like, can I drop off food for you tomorrow? I'll be there at five. No need to chat. I'll just drop it and run. Or, I mean, we can't say, do you need a hug now? But like, <laughs> can I look after your children? Do you want to talk about your loved one? Do you want me to sit with you and 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 distract you with funny stories? Like, just something very specific. Can I tidy your house? Like, something that could actually help them through the day rather than a blanket, let me know what I can do to help. But I think the let me know what I can do to help and we, we we need to take a short break, but that let me know what I can do, let me know what you need often comes yeah. from people who are not that close yeah. to you. It's like, do you want a coffee? We should meet like, for coffee sometime. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you know, it's it comes from people who feel they need to say something. You know, rather say, say nothing. Something. Rather say nothing. I know. Um, and I'll I know that they, love. yes, rather say, you know, I'm, I'm here if you, if you need something. I know you have people who are close to you. Sometimes it's easy mm. to speak to someone who's a bit more distant. Um, yeah. but we're going to talk a bit more about that after this. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I am back with my guest, Bridget McNulty. We've been talking about her book, which is most timeless at this point in everyone's COVID journey. Um, it's called The Grief Handbook, A Guide Through the Worst Days of Your Life. And it is officially released next week, the 13th of July. And I really do recommend this for anyone and everyone. Um, and before the break, we were talking about the fact that when you are on your grief journey, whatever age and stage you are and whatever stage of the journey you're at, you need to encounter other people. And, you know, you, you are not an island. We are not islands. And other people who really mean well 
they are well-meaning, whatever they say, well. whatever they do, they, they do mean well. But there comes a time where whatever they say and do just tends to rub you up the wrong way and um, isn't helpful mm-hmm. at all. Um, <laughs> and I know one thing that I, I learned from the book is don't just say, I'm sorry for your loss. Because mm-hmm. it, it comes off sounding quite empty. Mention yeah. something about. I mean, it's better than nothing. It is. It is better than nothing, and it often is. Um, you know, it's often said to people that you maybe you might not have known, or but just mention yes. something that that the person might remember about the person they've lost. Mm. So now I try to add that in, and unfortunately, I am yeah, finding I that I'm saying it to far too many people. But um, I know it's just awful. Um. I think the the worst thing to do is not say anything. So I think that's that's where the awkwardness. We're also awkward about grief, and I think every culture, maybe not every culture, but I know the book is also coming out in in the UK and the US, and the feedback I've had from advanced readers there is the same. That everyone, no one knows what to say when someone dies, which is insane because it's the one thing we all have in common across all cultures and all religions and all races and yet we're all so awkward and I think sometimes that translates as not making eye contact if you see the the person in the shops and not sending the whatsapp saying I'm sorry for your loss even if there's nothing else to say and I, I think it is really important just to be human with each other and just to say like oh you must be so sad I'm I'm sorry this is so hard for you. And, and that can be it, that it doesn't have to be a whole song and dance, but I think recognizing the humanity in someone else and recognizing that what they're going through is difficult is important because it does help. It does help. And unfortunately it's something that you learn when you've been through it yourself. Only when you go through it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I said all, all the wrong things before. Yeah. um, Sure. Definitely also have said and done the wrong things far too many times in the past. Um, but, but very helpfully in this handbook, you have listed some things you found helpful to hear and some things that you found less helpful, which is fantastic. And I'm not going to read them out because people need to buy the book. Um, <laughs> I also keep forgetting to say that the, so the book is, is being sold on Take Lot and in independent bookstores. But 10 rand of every copy sold on Take Lot, we've made it 190 now because 10 rand of every copy is going towards hospices, um, the Hospice Palliative Care Association of South Africa because they were the most amazing help to us. My mom was home for a week after we got the diagnosis and we were told there was no hope. She was at home with us for a week and hospices are just extraordinary. They're a volunteer organization and they send these angels out into the world who really just guide you through and in everything so it was from the practical stuff like they can rent you hospital beds and mattresses and put you in touch with carers who can come in and help you and so they help with that kind of thing and and with medication like we didn't know what to do but then they also help on like spiritual and and mental health and connecting you with people and yeah, they, they were just wonderful. And so I wanted to, to give back a token. And so we're supporting them with all the sales on Take A Lot. And that's yeah, amazing. Hopefully that will help them continue their great work. I just think there are such beautiful organizations out there and we don't always know about them. So 
Well, that is fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's really incredible mm-hmm. to know. That's, and I wanted the amazing. price. That's just what I'm saying. Is I wanted the price to be the same as a nice bunch of flowers, because I think everyone wants to help when someone dies. It's the same. Everyone's doing their best. But you end up with all these flowers, and flowers are beautiful, but lots of flowers is kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, because they die. Flowers. <laughs> then they all, two weeks later, they all die, and you're left with gross flower water and ugly vases. And, geez, that was so overwhelming. Because then, like, you're throwing away dead things. Beautiful things have died on your watch. Or, they, or people send you plants. I love plants, but... They inevitably die. And then you're like, oh my God, I can't even keep a plant alive. And then you're left with all the vases and where did they all go? So I wanted this to be an alternative to another bunch of flowers. So that's why we priced it like that. And I also really wanted it to be small so that, cause the book is not very big and, and I feel like you can put it in your handbag or I don't know, keep it in your car. I don't know what men carry things in, but just yeah, make it portable. But, yeah. And it definitely is. It really is. But on the, on the note of, of flowers and plants, I think again, people are well-meaning and they're being kind and yeah. they want to fill your home and your life with something that is beautiful. Mm, with life. And, and with yeah. something that you can look at and think, well, that's so pretty. And you, you know, you, you look at it and I you know. think that's lovely to look at it and it will uplift you. And, mm. and I know in, for um, well, for two weeks, well, a plant is hopefully meant to last long. I'm also not great at plants. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> Unless it's plants. an orchid. I can I'm useless orchids, with those. I'm, I'm not, no, no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not good with those. I know, um, in, in our, in our religion, Jewish religion, generally not so much the flowers and the plants. Um, our communities are amazing in that, um, you know, meals are brought and that, yeah. that's amazing support. You know, and I think a lot difference. of people are doing that um, with, yeah. with meals and ready-made stuff. So, you know, because when, as you say, you know, you can't even think of, you know, what, what to wear. Not that yeah. you want to get out of bed at all. But um, you One can't of the best pieces of advice my dad was given, because my parents were married for over 40 years, and they were best friends. They had a beautiful marriage. And... um one of the best pieces of advice he was given was to eat at normal times as if you were hungry because you're not hungry and you don't, a lot of the time you're not hungry and you don't care about food, but to eat at a normal time gives your day some structure and fuels your body and keeps you moving forward. Um, and I think that's also really helpful. Yeah. And that actually brings us full circle because at the beginning of the book, and um, when we talk about things, we just spoke about things to remember. Mm. And on that mm. list of things to remember is, is keto routine. So, yeah. um, and that, that's part of the routine. Bridget McNulty, I mean, this is, I could talk, we could talk for hours about this. I mean, grief <laughs> is, you know, it's, it's all encompassing and it's, yeah. it's everyone's journey is, is so, so unique, so individual. It's all so personal. And, mm. but this, this handbook that you've created is, it's, it's a gift. It really is a gift. Oh, thank you so much. That means so much to me. And I really yeah. do encourage people to, to buy it and to buy it not only for themselves, but for others who they feel can benefit from it. Mm. Because I think this is going to really help so, so many people. It's going to be a companion. And um, I think that, that many people are going to, to benefit from this book. So thank you so much for writing it, oh, for compiling you. it, 
for putting it out there. Oh, thank you so much. And if anyone would like to join me for the official book launch or virtual, thanks to COVID, I'll be doing a, a cozy fireside chat on Tuesday, the 13th of July at 5.30 on Facebook Live. I'm Bridget McNulty on Facebook. Um, yeah, and I would love to have any of your listeners there if they're interested. I will share that on my Facebook page, on the People of the Book Facebook page. And, yeah, I think that would be great if people would like to virtually attend that and they can uh, get <laughs> virtually to virtually, <laughs> virtually meet you. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Bridget, thank you so, so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure having you as thank a guest. Thank you for having me. What a joy. Thank you. Thank you. And for you, as I always say, take care of yourself, take care of each other, wear a mask. If you are able to get your vaccine and read a book.